Welcome everybody to Future of Beauty Unfiltered. I am your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation at the Pull Agency. And today we welcome back a very lovely, familiar face, Sarah Carolidas. <laughs> welcome, Sarah. Hi, Hannah. It's lovely to see you again. I know. It's so nice. I literally just said before we started recording your episode 22 and I think you were four <laughs> or five. So it's just amazing how many things have changed. But for anyone that doesn't know, this week... We have the absolute privilege of talking to one of the UK's top functional medicine and nutrition specialists with over two decades of experience um, helping and supporting people with nutrition and health problems. Sarah has changed countless lifestyles across the UK and worldwide. Um, you also work with numerous leading companies across the UK in their workplace wellness programs, which I love. Um, and your approach around working with doctors and consultants, your secret weapon is a whole body approach, actually, that embraces everything from food, hydration, sleep, exercise, stress, and even organisation, which I always say, tidy space, tidy mind, personally. Um, yes. But not only that, you are also Zuki's head of nutrition, leading on key health conditions such as menopause in the workplace and the importance of vitamin D, uh, which is obviously what we were talking about last time when it came to the connection right. between gut and mental health. I still send that podcast to anyone that is prepared to listen. <laughs> oh, it's so key. Everything comes down to the gut, everything. It really does. Um, but your actual career is anchored in, in wide ranging science qualifications. So both undergraduate and postgraduate science degrees from the University of Cambridge and have also been awarded diplomas with distinction from both the Institute of Optimum Nutrition and the Centre for In Inter I can never say this word. <laughs> Integrative sports nutrition. Um, yes. You have just done so so much you also work really closely when it comes to um with dermatologists so i know you have a lot of passion when it comes to rosacea we spoke about yeah. gut health we spoke about eczema particularly in children there's just so many things that you can touch on but today i am so i want to say buzzing that's how actually excited i am to talk about the benefits and impact of intermittent fasting Intermittent fasting has been something that obviously has been around for a very, very long time, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say in the last couple of years has become a little bit more fatty. It's definitely yeah. got a bit more awareness. It's there's, there's a dialogue going on about it for sure. Um, but actually, I think still to this day, even though lots of people are talking about it, whether it's kind of the the sixteen the sixteen four or the the twelve hour or there's all these different yeah. ones based on body types and you know, but for people that haven't heard about intermittent fasting, what exactly is it? Well, it's it's really interesting. Because you're absolutely right. <laughs> Dropping coasters everywhere. Go on, carry on. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because you're absolutely right. People have been fasting since the beginning of time. And I think almost every major religion has some kind of fasting element in there, whether it's Lent or Ramadan or whatever. Fasting has been there for those kind of social or cultural reasons, but also as health, the whole starve a cold, feed a fever. Is it the way, other way around? Feed a cold, starve, whatever. Fasting for health is feed kind cold, of... Feed a cold, starve a fever. That's the one <laughs> has been, which is not necessarily correct, but fasting has been there for health reasons as well. However, what's happened the last few years, people have started to actually research benefits of fasting and they're finding all sorts of interesting things. So there's two main types and you touched on both. There's intermittent fasting. It's, it's a generalized term and it describes cycles of either restricting the number of hours when you eat in the day. So that's the 16, eight or the 24 or whatever you want to do. So that's the number of hours that you eat, but not necessarily what you're eating. Mm. Or the other type of fasting is when you restrict the calories. And that can be for a couple of days a week or a three, five day fast, something like that. So you've got either time or you've got calories. Mm. And both of those have benefits and possibly some drawbacks as well. But now we've put a name on it. We've said intermittent fasting. So it's basically reducing time or calories intermittently is mm. what it comes down to in um in the sporting world 
you know, a lot of PTs talk, well, all PTs actually talk about if you want to lose body fat, you've got to be in a calorie deficit. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between living in a, a calorie deficit to lose body fat versus the calorie deficit fasting that you're talking about? Or effectively, are they the same thing? No, they're not the same thing. Um, because what happens is the body uses glucose as its primary energy source. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's got a supply of glucose, either because you're eating regularly or there are some glucose stores in the liver and muscles as glycogen, once it's used all those up, there is a switch that takes place to burning fat. Once there's no more glucose left, mm. the body will switch over and burn fat. This is something called ketosis. Mm -hmm. So if you are restricting the hours that you eat, the body is going to be more likely to switch over into fat burning. If you were just restricting the calories that you eat, it's not necessarily the same effect because when the body is digesting and using up the glucose, that goes on for a certain number of hours, then it can switch to fat burning. So it's, it's basically the time is going to be more effective than just restricting calories. The other danger that you've got with restricting calories is that if you do it too much, the body thinks you're starving and then it's going to reduce the metabolism and cause all sorts of problems and make it harder. So this is why intermittent fasting, reducing, reducing the number of hours can be more effective than just reducing calories. And so let's talk about actually you've touched on kind of ketosis storing fat you've obviously got two types of fat as well um, yeah. you know you've got your visceral which is obviously kind of your more dangerous fat that sits all around your organs um and yeah. then you've got your subcutaneous which is kind of more on your limbs and the external areas um or as i like to say live in my bingo wings um and <laughs> um but when when you talk about intermittent fasting most people think weight loss when they hear that is that the main purpose of intermittent fasting or actually is there more to it um well there's a difference between purpose and consequence so i think yes most people think of fasting as a way to lose weight but actually i will often ask people to start intermittent fasting especially the time one because it's going to have effects on their digestive system. It's going to have effects on their immune system, uh, possibly brain health. So, wow. Possibly, yeah. I mean, there's, there's more research going on, but there's some interesting stuff coming out of California there. Um, so I, I guess purpose, yes, people do it to lose weight. And it's proven very effective, especially for women over 50. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting seems to be much more helpful than just reducing calories. Why is that? Um, why is that? I'm not honestly sure. There is definitely a link with the menstrual cycle. When women are still menstruating, there are certain times of the month when fasting is going to stress the body too much. Mm. So I, I don't know the actual answer. Maybe it's giving the, the body more time to repair. The idea is it's giving the body a rest when it can actually repair. So I think it's probably something to do with that. But anyway, so back to your question, the purpose, yes, is to lose weight, but the consequences actually are much more far reaching than that. So let's talk about the, the positive impacts of intermittent fasting outside of weight loss. You know, what impact does it have on your body? Um, and then, you know, also, I know this sounds really silly, but like, how do you get it right? How do you know what's the right thing yeah. for you? Because everyone's so different like we were saying before we started recording consumers nowadays want you know i put myself as an example yes i obviously work in the industry but i'm still a consumer and i am obsessed with this search for wellness and what is the right thing for me at age and stage of life you know what my body responds to in my mid-30s was not what I wish what my body responded to in my 20s and so as soon as you enter then perimenopause and all of these different elements of life where more changes are going on what are the positive benefits to intermittent fasting in general and how do you know which is the right one for you for you yeah really key question so let's start with the digestive system. You know, I always want to start in the gut. Yes. Um, there's something called, there's a procedure that happens in the gut called the migrating motor complex. It's, it's 
basically like a housekeeper that sweeps through the intestines and clears things out. It's actually an electrical wave. It stimulates muscle movement and sort of pushes any waste or, or food particles, excess food particles out of all the little nooks and crannies through the intestines. Now, it only works when we're not eating. It starts about two or three hours after a meal. It takes up to two hours to complete a circuit and then it just keeps going. It restarts until we eat again when it's switched off immediately. So if you're digesting, that cannot happen. Every time you eat, every time you snack, it will stop that. But if you don't do that, if you have this kind of period when you're not eating, the migrating motor complex can work really efficiently. So anyone with leaky gut, anyone with digestive issues, giving them that long break in between meals. And that can be a really nice 12 or 14 hours or even more overnight can really help with their gut health. I have used it on so many clients over the years, and it just gives the gut the time to heal the mucus layer. It also changes the microbiome, the collection of bacteria we have in the gut when you're fasting you lose some of the less beneficial bacteria and grow more of the beneficial ones, the helpful ones. So it helps with the microbiome. It helps with the mucus layer. It just helps repair the gut. So that's number one, the digestive system. Mm-hmm. Number two is all about the cells themselves. The body is very clever. When it thinks you are not getting enough food or when you haven't fed for so many hours, it goes into something called autophagy, autophagy. I don't know how to say it, but I'm going to say autophagy. I've heard autophagy. Yes, autophagy. There we go. Okay. What that means is that the body removes damaged cells and regenerates new healthy ones. So what the body is doing is thinking, okay, I haven't got, she hasn't eaten cake in a few hours, so I need something. So I'm going to go and start digesting some of those old damaged cells. So it, it, it's really very clever. It eats the bad cells on the and weak. tissues. It eats- <laughs> It preys on the week. Hannah, that is an awful way of thinking. I'm saying the body is so clever. It's so clever. It starts digesting damaged and old cells. Think about that. It actually starts healing itself. So the body sort of adapts and and it gets stronger. It's the body's process of recycling its own damaged tissue into usable energy during times when food is not present. Mm. Uh, The other thing that happens is growth hormone rises in order to protect the muscle and the bone. Uh, it, it switches into a more efficient fat burning mode, I suppose. So there's that cellular repair as well. So you've got the digestive system, you've got cellular repair. Um, studies have also shown that, have you heard of stem cells? Mm-hmm. Stem cells are kind of the master cells that you form in the bone marrow and things. And then they yeah. can go off and be all sorts of cells, types of cells around the body. They can be a skin cell, a liver cell, whatever. They all start as stem cells. Research has shown that during periods of fasting like that, stem cell regeneration happens a bit faster. Mm. Um, so there's lots. There's lots there, going on. And also the, the immune, sorry, one more, the immune system. If somebody's got some sort of chronic inflammation in a fasted state, you break down a significant portion of white blood cells. So anyone with sort of chronic inflammatory problems, that can really help as well. So there's lots going on underneath. So actually, if, if you look at it from all the different areas that it affects, someone that struggles with their health should be potentially considering intermittent yeah. fasting as a, a, you know, a starting point while kind of seeking advice from yeah. whoever they're kind of under consultation with for that. Because like you say, it's gut, it's, you mentioned kind of the brain as well. So there yes. was, um, so there was a um, diary of a CEO, there was Dr. Mindy Peltz. She's um, very much an advocate of um, menopause and fasting and all these kind of things. And she was actually, you yeah. mentioned stem cells saying that there's been some research recently released in America where they did intermittent fasting on cancer patients. Um, yeah, you're nodding. You've seen it. Yes, yes I have. Well, breast cancer, that's right. There was one study that there were women and they fasted over 12, 13 hours at night. Uh, and the conclusion was that increasing nighttime fasting could, it was improving their blood glucose levels and 
decreasing their breast cancer risk if that's the one she's yeah. talking about i remember um, yeah she was also talking about people going through chemotherapy and how actually obviously when you go through chemotherapy it effectively nukes your immune system yes. because it can't differentiate yeah. between certain cells and um the people the the patients that were intermittent fasting during their chemotherapy left their their end of chemo with a higher level of immune system than the people that didn't because their stem cells were able to regenerate yeah. faster so yeah. there's, I mean, there's loads of things there really is and there's lots of i mean going back to ketosis there's lots of research cancer cells this is very basic and very simplistic and there's a lot more nuance than this but cancer cells feed off glucose so the whole basic theory there is that if you starve the body of glucose then the cancer cells are going to have a much harder time to grow so glucose and sugar in general i was talking to um a fertility consultant actually um a couple of months ago and he was very passionate about sugar and mm. kind of said in his view in about five ten years time they'll be able to prove that sugar is worse for you this is his words not mine guys yeah yeah worse yeah. for you than smoking and alcohol combined because Ooh. he is so adamant and that's a big statement i know but he is so and that's not saying by the way guys you should do either of them but <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but he you know the impact when it comes to fertility and actually helping your body and it's a challenge right because you yeah. do need some element of, of course you do of course sugar, you do but it's yeah. the right sugar and i think this is half of the, the the problem so again when we talk about let's go back to intermittent fasting for a second or even a yes. calorie deficit sometimes there's this perception of you know there's so many pts online now a calorie deficit is a calorie deficit you can eat what you want in between that's just not the case like no, it's really not. and this is part of the problem there's so many conflicting messages so when someone's looking at intermittent fasting some people are going okay well if i don't eat um you know for 16 hours a day and then i have my window but i can only eat for x amount of time i'm just going to eat mcdonald's and i'm going to eat chocolate and cake and it's kind of like what well, is defeating the point of actually what intermittent fasting is going yeah. to help you achieve so let's talk about the break in between what should you be focusing on if you want to look at doing intermittent fasting um you know what should you be doing when you can eat because there's some um, statistics that say actually one of the first things that you should be eating is fiber versus some people say the first thing you should eat to break a fast is protein. Like what, what how does that work when you come back out of a fasted state? Yeah, again, I think it's the two types of fast and you're absolutely right. If somebody is in their eating window, eating rubbish, <laughs> McDonald's and cakes and whatever else, then there is mm. absolutely no point because that will harm the gut. It will it will undo any good that you've done by giving yourself a gap. Mm. So what you eat in the window is crucial. However, if you're doing a 16-8, if you're doing a daily restricted time eating, then it doesn't matter so much what you break the fast with. Now, I always like my women, especially perimenopausal, menopausal, to start the day with protein. And this is another important thing because the digestive system actually works a bit better in the morning. The digestive system, insulin sensitivity is higher in the morning. So a lot of people go into intermittent fasting thinking, oh, I'll just cut out breakfast. That's the easiest one. I don't feel particularly hungry in the morning and it's much easier to have lunch and dinner. So I'll make my window 12 till eight, mm. maybe. And then I won't eat and all I'll have in the morning is lemon water. Okay, that can work for some people, but actually for menopausal women, and people slightly older, I prefer them to have their window earlier, maybe if possible, have breakfast, lunch, early, early dinner. This is when you know, it comes down to the sort of eating dinner at five o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. If you can do that and then I mean. not eat. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's, it's I'm not a late eater anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just you've got to sort of sort it out with work and everything, haven't you? It's really so if people can't eat at work and they're not getting home till seven, eight o'clock at night, it's that much harder. But the eating window, and this is something they've shown in a few studies where they restricted people to eating between 8 and 12, 8 a.m. and 12 midday, mm -hmm. and then or later in the day. So I'm, I'm kind of covering a lot of things here. So the time when you eat, 
is important and it can work better for older people if they have the window earlier in the day mm-hmm. what you eat going back to what you eat if you're so if you're doing it every day then what you break the fast with is not so important if you're doing a longer fast if you're doing a three or five day fast where you're just having water or bone broth or something like that then how you break the fast is important i don't want people to go back to straight to a heavy heavy meal you've got to have something maybe i some stewed apples some yogurt with berries something that's a little bit easier to digest because your digestive enzymes will have switched down a mm. bit so you need to break it uh, with something like some cooked vegetables or something that's fairly easy to digest before you have a heavier meal so a softer fiber effectively exactly yeah definitely and then with the so you you kind of touched on um when do you know why your insulin um kind of levels and 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 your kind of sensitivity and everything else is higher in the mornings in the morning well i guess you know going back evolutionarily we should feed when we wake up uh, because it sets you up for the day then you've got the energy to burn during the day when you're being active and all that so Mm. i think the body the circadian rhythm our digestion just works. We're not really supposed to lie around at night eating a big dinner and munching chocolates until... I can't do it. I don't know how people do. I'm not like, if I eat a late dinner, I'm in bed going, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? You don't digest as well. Definitely. I don't think you sleep as well either because your body can't fully shut down. No, that's absolutely right because it is, it's concentrating on digestion and everything's slowing down for night. So it's never going to work as well. So if you think about it, it does make sense that actually get your calories in earlier in the day, then you exercise, work and whatever, whatever, and then slow it down towards nighttime. What about exercising in a fasted state? What's your view on that? Right. Yes. If you're doing the time restricted eating where you're doing kind of having not eating so much in the morning or whatever, it should be fine, but be led by your body. If you have decided you're not going to eat breakfast and then you go and do a hit class or something like that, you may not be able to manage so you might Mm. need to leave that till later in the day Mm. if you're doing a longer fast three days five days something like that absolutely no excessive exercise it'll just stress your system way too much and your body will think i'm not getting any calories and i'm being forced to run a, a marathon or something it will go into a stressed state so if you're doing a longer fast i get people to do a little bit of yoga some stretching really think about just flexibility active and movement gentle yeah. Stuff. yeah yeah much much better for you um so you mentioned around putting the body under stress yes exercising and obviously there's lots of different versions but a huge part of stress is certain types of hormone production yeah there are lots of benefits around intermittent fasting and your and for your hormones in particular Can we talk a little bit about actually that side of it? Because hormones play such, such a big part to not just um, weight loss, but mental health, sleep, um, just general happiness, energy levels, well-being. And then when you hit menopause, there's going to be a lot of people kind of searching around for options because the body changes right they're finding it harder to to lose that kind of mid-section weight the visceral fat that we speak about and that's the fat we need to be aware of a bit more right because that's the one that can coat the organs and and create kind of bigger health problems associated with diabetes and heart attacks and all these other kind of things but what about the hormones what yeah. how does that work i think there are two well there's two or three main kind of hormonal areas that can be really affected by fasting and stress is absolutely the key here. So when we go into a perimenopausal menopausal state, what happens is we start producing more cortisol. Basically, the hormones that used to be made into estrogen and progesterone start going down the cortisol route more easily. Mm-hmm. So if you start introducing fasting at that time, it can be another stressor on the body. You've got more cortisol going already, so it might not be helpful at that point. So what I'm talking about there is like a three or five day, a real fast where you just just have water or bone broth or something. 
Time-restricted eating can be much easier for people because you can introduce it slowly. Mm. Uh, at the moment, I mean, most people are doing at least eight hours overnight anyway. Yeah. So just bringing your dinner an hour earlier when you can or your breakfast a bit later, depending on what age you are or whatever. You can go into it very gradually and the body doesn't find that as stressful. Also, something I found is that when women get to perimenopause, menopause, they're so fed up. They've put on 10 pounds of menopausal weight. They haven't changed anything. They think, they, oh, I'm just reducing. I, I can't have any fun anymore. I, can't, I cannot have a glass of wine. I can't have a slice of cake. I will put on that weight immediately. Once they get into intermittent or time-restricted eating and the weight does start to shift, things start coming off, actually their stress levels go down because that weight gain is a stress mentally. Women are so fed up, like, I can't get into my clothes anymore. I feel horrible. I feel frumpy. So it can reduce stress if you do it the right way. Time-restricted eating can actually reduce stress. But let's go back to pre-menopausal women who are actually menstruating now what's important here is that they have done research if in the first week or so of a woman's cycle before she ovulates if you introduce severe calorie restriction so that could be a fast for a couple of days or cutting down your calories mm. she is less likely to ovulate now if you think about mm. it your body is interpreting the fasting as, oh, you might be going into a famine here. This is not the best time for me to get pregnant, mm, right? Preservation. Preservation, it, it absolutely makes sense. So that can be a pitfall if, if you are trying to get pregnant. Yep. But if you think about it, for women who have bad PMS, endometriosis, things like that, they are now starting to think, hang on a minute, maybe some fasting can help here actually, because it is reducing the hormones. So if so, women during their period cycle, if they fast in the second half of the cycle, so they've already ovulated now, this is the, uh, gosh, is that the, the follicular phase, I think that is. No, sorry, yeah. the follicular phase is the first half, the luteal yeah. phase is the second half, isn't it? Right. If they fast in that side of the cycle, it may actually help with PMS, and cravings and things like that. Mm. However, there's always a catch, isn't there? If you are somebody that really struggles with carbohydrate cravings, it may mean that you need more progesterone and fasting just might make things even worse. So again, it comes down to getting help, getting somebody to guide you through this and say, these are my symptoms. How's this gonna affect me? What's mm. the best time for me to do it? Because those hormones will be affected. Mm. Um, finally, we've got things like thyroid hormones. The jury's out a bit there. Um, fasting can help actually stabilize thyroid mm -hmm. hormones, or if you get it wrong, it can mess them about a bit. So it's a bit of a bit of a convoluted answer, but I think take what you individually have going on into account. Maybe get some help from a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist to just get find out what is the best one for you. Mm. It's really interesting because, like I said right at the beginning, you know, you you you've got it's got to be personalised to you because there's so yeah. many things going on. Um, so, and I, also, it's what you're trying to achieve, right? Some people it will be for weight loss benefits, and they don't necessarily have any underlying health issues. It could be there are people yes. that actually have a lot of health issues, and they so again, intermittent fasting is is quite holistic in the sense that it can help with lots of different things. Um, if you were to, so with your patients in particular, right, when yeah. you recommend intermittent fasting, what other things do you, I mean, you know, what other things do you want them to do with it? How, how is it going to kind of fit in with everyday life? Yeah. And what are you hoping to see when you ask someone to start intermittent fasting? That fitting in with everyday life is absolutely crucial. That's when I talk about habits and ways to get it to work for you. But you're absolutely right. There are so many other things that are important. So we found that people cannot lose weight if they're not sleeping properly, if they're really stressed. I know people who go on holiday and suddenly the weight sort of, they sleep for two or three days and suddenly the, the weight starts to come off. So always with intermittent fasting, we've touched on the kind of food you're eating in the windows, whether you're doing time-restricted eating or going on a fast for a few days. 
the type of food you eat when you eat is so important. You've got to curate that. You've got to make sure you're getting the right mix of proteins, carbohydrates and essential fats, vitamins, minerals, everything you need. What about, um, sorry, I'm just thinking while you're having a sip of water. Um, What about a calorie deficit within that window? Do you need to worry about that? Um, Depends what you're doing it for and how severely. So if you are trying to lose a bit of weight, then a couple of hundred calories is not a problem. It's when the body thinks you're really starving it that the metabolic rate suffers so you've got to balance that deficit you've got, you've got to make it a gentle deficit i mean you know yeah if you want to lose weight if you've got a goal in a few weeks time and you're really going to starve yourself you've got to accept that once you've got past that goal and maybe you've reached that weight afterwards your body is going to pile the weight back on as quickly as possible it's going to glean every calorie it can because it wants you to get back to your set point and it's worried that there's going to be another famine starvation mm. so doing anything too quickly always has consequences so having a calorie deficit not a problem if it's just a gentle one and you're mm. and actually and also if you are doing that every now and then you need a day of refeeding where you have some carbohydrates so the body thinks oh okay i'm not starving every now and then i am going to get these carbs and things like that so i quite like switching it up yeah with people keeping the body on its toes but not stressing it it's called so like stretching in- yeah sweet potatoes something with a bit like little you know good carbs in a different way oh, yeah. but it's still natural sugars rather yes. than going and having i mean you can go have mcdonald's if you want but i prefer a sweet potato over a mcdonald's absolutely yeah i mean and the sweet potato is also going to help your digestive system it's going to yeah. fuel the microbiome it's going to give you some fiber so everything keeps going through the gut so absolutely we do need those carbs um and then we talk about other things okay hydration always key my goodness getting people to drink enough water is always the first especially in the winter yes yes when we've got the air conditioning or heating of course it is we're in front of screens all day and we've got the heating on absolutely so you've got to get people to drink enough water i want them to sleep properly Mm -hmm. uh having enough sleep as i mentioned already and just sort of bringing stress down can affect your weight and help as much as fasting or anything like that how much sleep there's different there's different views some people are actually saying uh, in some research I've been kind of reading as of late that it's proven that seven hours is is the perfect amount and anything over nine, you're actually oversleeping. It's... Well, I think there are general, you know, again, it's a bit of a unique thing. I know people who need nine hours to function and I know people who need only six. But, you know, I was talking about that migrating motor complex in the digestion earlier. Yeah, There's a similar system in the brain, the glymphatic system. Basically what happens when you enter really proper sleep the blood vessels in the brain open slightly yeah. and again the sort of hoovery thing goes around and cleans out metabolic wastes and toxins and stuff like that so i think you've got to get at least five hours of sleep for that to happen properly so either side of that i think that's where they come to the seven hour mm. suggested window of what's good for people and and then you know just talking to people and they'll often say it's like when you have a new baby or something there's like a threshold of oh when i can get five hours sleep i can function but below that i just can't function it is going to be slightly different but i think that that seven hours is kind of the magic number really Mm. so hydration sleep obviously good food um exercise exercise but obviously not too intense so if you're in that prolonged three to five water fasted state then not intense exercise but you know still active movement of some kind what about weight training in a fasted state um weight training is is fine if if you can cope i mean be very much led by how you feel if if one day you've eaten something and you can lift a certain weight and the next day you haven't eaten and you say i I just i just don't feel as strong Mm. You've got to remember, yeah, okay, maybe I haven't got enough stores now and I need to leave this until I've actually fed beforehand. So listen to your body. Don't just do something, got to get up at five, got to do my weight training, do this, whatever. You know, that's going to end up stressing you and then you're going to get inflammation and it's just not going to work. Mm. Um, it's It's all about stretching the immune system and not stressing it that's where the whole thing about um hot and cold water therapy come in you know the sort of cryotherapy or wild swimming um so intermittent exercise i do like people to switch it up if you're doing 
weight training one day, do some yoga the next, go for a walk to concentrate on your flexibility, your cardio. Also deep breathing and meditation. Again, that's that's kind of like an intermittent fasting for the brain, I suppose, and, and the, all the different systems. So that whole switching it up, which just mm. stretches the immune system, but doesn't stress it is really important. So all those factors, as well as intermittent fasting, I like people to do. Yeah. Um, anything else kind of on the other things that you ask people to do? Um, okay, water. Well, it depends on what they're working on. Really, if you are somebody with a thyroid problem or a digestive problem, I'm going to change what you're eating. Uh, let's, assume, main... let's assume they're perimenopausal, yes. right? So their body's going through those kind of changes and they're just trying to not stabilize a little bit, but, but achieve a little bit more zen, a bit more balance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I am going to look at how much protein they're eating. I do find women tend to shut down on their protein uh consumption and they go more towards vegetarian things which can be fine but actually there is the argument that you need more protein as you age we find it harder to digest so i look at their protein intake i want to look at how well their gut is functioning past the age of 40 we start producing less digestive enzymes so they might need supplementation there they could be eating a really good diet and they're not absorbing it which brings me on to what are you absorbing? I want to do a nutrient screen. I want to look at their levels of vitamins and minerals, things like magnesium, the B vitamins, iron, all these things can sort of slowly, slowly start to deplete. Mm. And we might need some supplements at that point because it's going to be too hard to get them from the Appreciate. amount of food, from the food that we're eating. So I'm going to look at supplements. Um, essential fatty acids, another big one, the, mm. you know, the fatty fish, unless you're eating mackerel and salmon every single day omega-3 really really crucial so i'm going to look at what nutrients they have and what might need boosting mm. i'm also going to look at their digestive health because everything starts to slow down unfortunately going into perimenopause it's amazing the effect that estrogen losing estrogen has because it doesn't just make you fertile it prepares the body for having a baby so it looks after cardiovascular health it looks after brain health bone health once your estrogen depletes you're less likely to have the replacement of the strong bones so you need to make sure your vitamin d and your calcium and your collagen and all that are up because of the estrogen depleting so going into perimenopause brings a lot of health issues up and you've really got to keep on top of those it's hard man like it just <laughs> it's, so you listen to it and you're like come on so like if we so effectively I'm kind of simplifying what you've said, but estrogen, the reason why our metabolism and all these other things operate in the way they do is so we can have a baby. Is yeah. that in its simplest form? In its simplest form? Absolutely. That's, that's what's going on from when you start having periods to when you finish the estrogen, the progesterone and the testosterone are keeping the muscles, the brain, the boat, everything so you can produce another you <laughs> do our testosterone levels deplete as well when we're going into perimenopause? we always talk about estrogen going down and and the yeah. impact of lack of estrogen but actually testosterone plays a big part testosterone actually the best time to weight train is during your cycle on when you're on your period yeah. because your testosterone levels are higher so you can yeah. lift heavier you actually have yeah. more chance of building muscle there's lots of other benefits to it we always talk about estrogen but what about testosterone for women i know i know i i'm a big proponent of it i take a little testosterone myself that's been part of my whole sort of hrt makeup really? because yeah because you don't want to lose the muscles the testosterone keeps your energy your libido your muscles it affects you need tiny tiny amount uh, but we don't think about that for women and it's only in a few no. countries actually that they consider it as part of the hrt and i think really? going through the nhs you have to push a bit to get it in there i'm not sure why maybe it's more expensive to produce or something i don't know but they don't think of it as much with women whereas if, for men they would first thing they think of yeah what country that's but that's what i mean it's the whole like men testosterone women estrogen and it's like what well, yeah actually men have estrogen too of course they do of course <laughs> they, they do and it they often goes out too. of balance you can see that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well they even talk about again i was listening to um a, a kind of a researcher the other day talking about how men's hormone levels change when they become parents um yeah. and their bodies still go through 
a, a change they just don't necessarily know it because you don't see a massive bump appear and you know so it's um it is really interesting what countries do you think are more open to considering testosterone as part of it? <laughs> I, think, I think western europe is yeah. possibly but there are you know there are there are countries where they don't do hrt at all um, or the most you're going to get is progesterone uh like greece for instance um I'm, to be honest i'm not i'm not so sure i have opinions but i don't have kind of yeah good no, facts of on that answer it's curious um yeah okay so i have one well i've got two questions actually in my head yes. if i wanted so let's say for me for example if I wanted to start intermittent fasting, don't necessarily have any key medical conditions. There's all the different windows that you could do. Like you were saying, you've got your 16, eight, you've got your 12. Yeah. There's so many different ones. How would I go about working out which window I should do? Or is it a case of actually starting easing myself in? And then actually, if I find I can do it for longer, I should just do so. How does that work? Ideal world. I think everybody would bring in some time restricted eating during their week to give their digestive system, their immune system, stem cells, et cetera, a chance to repair. So on days that you could do it, mm. I would have dinner as early as possible mm. and then delay breakfast a little bit, depending on when you're exercising. So you're not going to do that. Well, yeah. So I would days that I'm not going out working from home things like that I want to eat at six o'clock in the evening and that's it and I give myself a nice break to the next morning mm. ideal world once or twice a year as well I would get you to do a three day a long weekend of either water or bone broth a complete break reason that, that terrifies is, me <laughs> i know i know i know you've got a young child i mean i used to do it twice a year every time every year i started sort of in my 20s and i discovered oh i felt amazing the first you have to rest when you do it this is the trouble you have to rest you can walk you can take it easy but you're not going to get a lot done over um, the weekend but it's, it can be a really nice weekend for just reading and relaxing and sort of hunkering down a little bit of hibernation and on sort of day two or three, oh, you feel, you just feel mentally clear. You feel detoxed. People can get a lot of withdrawals going into these. I was just going to say, yes. like I've done kind of, when I've, when I've gone, oh, I'm drinking too much coffee again. I need to kind of rein it back. I'd switch to decaf um, yeah. or, or, or not have anything at all. And that first day I'm like, God, I've got a headache. And I know, I know exactly I why know. it is. So you do, you yeah. can get and sugar withdrawals. So you have yes. to kind of, it has to be a choice, doesn't it? You have to persevere. You have to persevere. It's actually really important. The number of people that come back and they say, oh, my goodness, I never realized caffeine had that effect on me or sugar or whatever it is. I mean, there is a reason for that whole hangry feeling when you're angry and hungry at the same time. It's a craving. It's affecting you mentally. It's your glucose levels going down and your body's like, hang on a minute. What's going on? Where's my usual stimulant? And so it can be a really interesting lesson for people when they realize, oh, my goodness, that was affecting me. So maybe I won't go back to having so many, so many coffees or whatever. But, you know, like you say, you've got to be able to disappear. You've got to be able to hunker down for a few days. But the detoxification, it gives the liver that chance to go to find. It's like all oh, those old toxins that I squirreled away in some fat cells. I can go and get those out now and process them on it. The body starts to repair and detox far more than it can do Normally. during a regular week when you're eating all the time there are sort of things it can get out and repair and deal with so ideal world once or twice a year and i always think around spring and autumn are quite nice times to do it the, the week um, between christmas and new year in my head is a perfect ooh. time because no one goes anywhere <laughs> that's that's true if you can just lie down and kids kind of entertain themselves Hi, a little yep. bit and you haven't got yeah that's that's an excellent time if you can just say right mummy's done her bit i'm gonna yeah. go and rest for a couple of days you guys are on your own forage yeah. for yourself you're on and your own <laughs> so what about the daily ones then so the, the oh. short so we we do have three days twice a year yes three days twice a year day. and then during the week and the thing is don't beat yourself up you've, you've got dinners to go to you've got work events there are some days where it's just not going to be possible yes but on days that you can really think about reducing the window 
try and have your dinner early breakfast bring it a little bit later but again if you're perimenopausal menopausal or you're working out first thing in the morning i don't want that impacted but yeah try and give yourself that break mm. during the week because it really does help with digestion and the immune system yeah absolutely well this has given me a lot of food for thought one thing you haven't <laughs> mentioned um yes. drinking We've spoke all about food, but I think people yeah. make a massive mistake when it comes to intermittent fasting that a coffee, the milk within that is yeah. still classed to your body as food, food. or squash or like, yeah. so when you're fasting, what can you drink? Absolutely right. I'm really glad you brought that up. I've seen, I've seen people write, oh, if it's under 50 calories then it's fine or i'm like well where on earth did you get that from that's nonsense you're right (laughs) exactly basically the minute you put in a carb a protein a fat yeah your body is going to interpret it as food food. and the migrating motor complex is going to stop and you're going to switch into digesting mode so it might be good food but yes if you get up in the morning and you have a matcha latte or something like that you're switching into digestion mode so what you can have, I think, is black coffee. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I think it depends not... on perimenopausal as well, though. It depends if you're perimenopausal. I don't think you can. From the again, I'm not a practitioner. I'm just a nerd. <laughs> well, no, no, you're. I, it's wonderful that you're a nerd. You're not going to find the research though, because how are they going to research that? That's the yeah. trouble. They might, you know, they might do something on mice or rats or something. But Some people say everyone's... black coffee. But if you are like, I want to do this properly, is it just water? Lemon water? Well, I, like what? Lemon. I was going to say a lemon water, a green tea, a herb tea, you'll be absolutely fine. There's no carbs. There's no fat. There's no protein in there. Fruit tea? So something, a fruit tea? Yes, as long as there's not any sweeteners. I don't want any artificial sweeteners or sugar in there. And I don't want any honey with your lemon. So it really is just a herb or a squeeze of lemon into water. That's it if you really want to do it properly. Okay. Interesting. Because I think that's really key. A lot of people, when they're kind of looking at calorie deficit, they'll go, I don't understand. I've been so good. And, you know, but then you go, well, you had four lattes yesterday. There's like 300 calories in those. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. it's And you you just don't think about it. So a lot of the time, even when I'm talking to friends or whatever, I go, okay, don't tell me what you eat. Tell me what you drink. That's the first thing I say. I'm like, don't tell me what you eat. Tell me what you drink. And then they go. Oh, I eat really well. Tell me what you drink. Oh, I'll have four large. I'll have a large Starbucks here. What what oh, kind God. of what kind of Starbucks? Oh, I'll have a pumpkin Ooh. spice latte with full fat milk and and I go. And how many of those do you have? Only three. Okay. Do you know how many calories are in that? You, that's your daily. That's your daily allowance done. So it's yeah. kind of. I think when when people think about intermittent fasting in particular, it's anything you put in your mouth effectively your body can't differentiate and i guess i'm looking for you to kind of as the practitioner go no no this is correct like (laughs) anything that goes in your mouth your body can't differentiate between whether it's a food or a drink or this or that it's a fat a protein uh you know whatever it can't so lemon water green tea bit of herbal tea as long as there's no sweeteners additives sugar Yep. And, and effectively, that's it. Effectively, yes. Because as anything that's going to start the digestion process, that's the end of your... It stops your fast. housekeeper going through. And I love that analogy. <laughs> love that analogy. Um, so I, as always, absolutely love talking to you about this. And I could talk for hours because I am obsessed with intermittent fasting. I really think it's... Um, I think it's brilliant that it's getting the airspace it is. Yeah. But why... For me, intermittent fasting, we always like to end podcasts on what's that one piece of advice you could give to people listening. Um, You know, we have a lot of marketeers and brand managers and people listening to this podcast. And the thing for me that was always really important was how can we take these holistic topics and these other ways of thinking and kind of improve our consumer's life? Um, And actually, the, the thing with me for intermittent fasting is it just shows the mindset that your your end customer is in and the length that they will go to and the kind of level of commitment 
they are prepared to put in to achieve that sense of well-being mm-hmm. if you could give a piece of advice to anyone listening about it what what would it be do you reckon i think it's all about curation isn't it we spend a lot of time curating what we put into our minds what we listen to what I mean, I, I, for one, I get home from work and I'm already planning. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to watch Bake Off tonight I, or, or something because I know it's going to relax me or I'm going to read this or I'm really looking forward to that magazine in the bath. We we curate who we talk to, what podcasts we listen to, everything we put in our mind. We think about it, the music we listen to, everything. It's a choice. What we, It's a choice. What we don't curate so much, what we don't think about so much is what we put into our bodies and when we put it into our bodies so I think you're touching on something really important there we curate what face creams we use we curate what products we have around the house but often when it comes to the body we leave that to last and we leave it to chance and especially as women we look after everybody else first before we look after ourselves so I think intermittent fasting is actually quite an easy way to improve our health without too much thought, without too much effort. It can make a big difference without any expense as well, unless you're going to start to buy the fasting mimicking kits, which cost (laughs) a lot of money, but they work for some people, so I'm not going to knock it. Um, So I think you're right. It's touching on what are people prepared to do? This is easy. This is inexpensive. This is helpful. And it's all about taking self-responsibility, self-care. I mean, fasting doesn't sound like a self-care word, but actually it is because you are looking after your health. So it's all about curating your health and giving yourself that break to actually repair. I think there's, um, do you know what, you're spot on. And I think there's opportunities for brands who are talking to, whether it's perimenopausal women, menopausal, even younger women, to actually give, curate on their behalf and give yeah. them that opportunity to think about it. Because you're absolutely, if I sit, I'm listening to you talk and I'm going, oh my goodness, she is so right. <laughs> if I think about what I've eaten this morning because I've been running around versus all yes. the other things that I've done today, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It's, it's an afterthought, it's a, oh, this will do. And it's yes. taking that time and actually it should be the other way around. Absolutely yeah. should be the other way around. And I think that's where we have a duty of care as brands talking to consumers. We have the practitioners, we have the experience, we have the insight and knowledge. We should be sharing that to ensure that yeah. they are seeing the results in the best way because a happy customer is going to be a return one. Yeah, completely. And it's it's bringing things from the inside out, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, couldn't agree yeah. more on that note <laughs> thank you so so much sarah i love talking to you as always um if you guys have any any questions at all please do get in touch at podcast at thepoolagency.com it's been the lovely sarah and myself hannah and we'll see you again soon 